0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org.
1: Glad to have you today. I I want to, before I begin our message in James, uh, I want to share something that's really kind of uh, a family matter in so many ways, if you would, at River Bluff. Uh, It's about uh, really a way that we are obedient to the teachings of Scripture. I want to read a passage uh, from a letter That the Apostle Paul wrote to one of those men that he had discipled in ministry named Titus. And he said this to Titus in uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 5. He said, Titus, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. Throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, we're instructed in the church to have elders Uh, men who are called by God and set apart to lead his churches. And Paul wrote to Titus and he wrote to Timothy that when they were planting churches, that one of the things they needed to do in order to support the work that remained, and what had remained was the work of the gospel, in order to support the work that remained, to appoint elders. Well, at River Bluff, we do that, and we do it uh, normally annually as our cycle. We appoint one new elder. Um, we have our elders serve on a five year rotation. They commit uh, to, to serve for five years, and then one rotates off, and another one comes on. And uh, our elders are appointed by our deacons. And so this year, we've we've gone through that cycle again. I'm going to invite Scott and his wife, Kathy Cockhill. Scott has been serving as one of our elders for this past season of ministry. And Scott is rotating off. And I'm asking him to come up. One, because I want you to thank he and Kathy, if you would, as they come. Thank them, if you would. Um, Yeah. Come on up, come on up. Kathy just loves standing up here in front of people, Uh, and uh, but I I just I thank God for these. um, One of the things reasons that I'm so thankful for the service that Scott has given to our body is, I I have not experienced a more challenging five year run than the last five years of ministry. Uh, here here at River Bluff at this church. And I think a lot of churches would tell you that over the last five years. It has been, as far as challenges to ministry, the last five years have been very, very challenging. And and Scott has walked uh, with our team, with me, in wisdom and grace and mercy and sorrow sometimes from carrying the weight of leadership uh, because it can be sorrowful sometimes. Now, please hear me say there's joy attached even to that sorrow. There's, there's a weightiness to it, but there's joy in the Lord in the midst of that, that he would allow uh, us to serve as elders. And Scott shares in that joy um, of that sorrow in, in, in those trials. And I've asked Scott, if he would, to um, lead a time of prayer. For our new elder and his wife, and I'm going to invite them up. We're going to make room. Uh, John and Stacy Miller, if you guys would begin making your way up. John has agreed to, to serve as a, an elder here at River Bluff. He was uh, appointed by our deacons back in January in our uh, f- January meeting of our fellowship of deacons. And so welcome, uh, if you would, John to, uh, uh, to the stage. John has been serving faithfully. Um, as a deacon, and I love these two, John and Stacy. Uh, I've had the privilege of personally discipling them in our home for a season, and uh, woo, yeah! Um, and that was a, that was a joy and delight for Kathy and I. And uh, so I, I've asked Scott to just you know share from his heart, and then to to pray uh, for these two, Scott. my microphone on? If you'll open your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to continue on our verse-by-verse journey through uh, this incredible book. Today, I want us to look at the oldest problem that humanity has faced, and that is the challenge of temptation. It goes all the way back to the opening of the book of Genesis right after creation, and um, you know, and, and the truth is, we all, we all face this. And we know this, that sometimes even when we know the right thing to do, sometimes we, we don't do it. It's still hard to say no. Some of you may remember the, the famous playwright uh, Oscar Wilde. He once said that I can withstand anything except temptation. And Then he went on to say that the only way to get rid of temptation that he had found was to just give into it. Now, that's not God's counsel to you. God, God's not recommending that. I want us to look today is what, is, what does God's word say uh, about temptation? Now, we, we've called this series Faultless Faith because the Apostle James is so very practical in helping us come up with a strategy, if you would, for walking by faith in in this life. And we're just walking through this verse by verse. And today we're going to pick up at verse 12, where we kind of left off last week. We're going to pick that verse back up, and then we're going to press on through verse 18. And we're going to look at James' counsel to us. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus, so he watched his brother successfully navigate his temptations, but never sinned. And one of the things that uh, the book of James does specifically is it talks about two different kinds of testings that you and I will encounter in this life. One is called trials, the other is called temptation. James chapter 1 verse 12 in the amplified version captures both of those uh, kinds of testings Uh, together look at this from James chapter 1 verse 12 blessed or happy you know to be invited is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation for when he has stood the test and been approved he will receive the victor's crown of life which God has promised to those who love him now, interestingly, the word that's translated from the, the Greek for trials is usually the same word it is often translated as temptation. It's pyrosmos, and it, can, um, it gets translated one way or the other based on its context. When it's translated, it's trials. See, trials are those things that are allowed by God to help us grow. Temptations, on the other hand, are arranged by Satan to leave us in, lead us into sin. They're, they're designed, they're concocted by him. And James chapter 1, verse 12 tells us again, Blessed is the man who stands up under temptation, for when he has stood the test, he has been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There's a prize. There's a reward for enduring and standing up against temptation. And the Bible says it's a state of being blessed by God. It's a state of experiencing joy, happiness in the Holy Spirit, if you would. And it comes from having your life under control so that there's not not this devastating impact of, you know, a horrible habit that just persists in your life. And it tells us that the reward, the prize for that is a crown of life. And that basically means literally life itself. Life in in the Lord. And James says that when you understand this and you begin the journey to overcome it, learning how to say no, that's when you really begin to start living your life. It's a crown. It's abundant life itself. So the question is, is how? How do we handle temptation in this life? You know, how, how do we how do we move to saying no when everything in us at times wants to say yes? And James, being that practical apostle that he is, he just lays out in in this short little text that we're looking at, he lays out five strategies, five what I, I like to think of as standing strategies to stand against temptation. Strategy number one that he tells us is we've got to live in reality. And the reality is we got to face the fact that you will be tempted. Every Christian is tempted. Look at how James puts it in verse 13. He says, when tempted. I'm going to stop there. When, when, when tempted. Now, just like trials that we looked at for the last two weeks, trials and temptations are inevitable. We're going to face them. Now, I don't know if you have. I have met a few pious people you know, that, that will, might say something like this. I thank God that I've not faced temptation for the last 47 years. Friends, do you know what you get when you feed a crock baloney? You get a crock of baloney. If somebody tells you that they have been so sanctified that they're not facing temptation, that is a crock of baloney. It, it, is, it is not the truth. Everybody is tempted. I'm tempted. You're tempted. Every day we face temptation. You never get too old for it. You never get so spiritually mature that you're not going to be tempted. Everybody's tempted. And I want to say this. My personal experience has been the closer that I have walked with Jesus, the more I've been tempted. And sometimes the harder those temptations come. I believe it's a fact of life. It's just a misconception, you know, to think that once you're born again... Temptation is gone. You, you've arrived. And because sometimes people believe that, they start faking the Christian life. They, they, they start hiding it. They start pretending. They start wearing a mask so that you'll think they're not, you know, not facing temptation. Say, saying things like, how could anybody ever do something like that? Because they were tempted. And the truth is, Except by the grace of God, all of us can give in to temptation at any moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Every temptation out there is common. It's common to all of us. It's a shared experience. We're all in the same boat. We all face the same problems. So don't be surprised or shocked and don't try to hide it. We all have the same struggles. And it is not Sin to be tempted. Sin begins when I give in to temptation. Look what Hebrews 4 tells us. It says, Jesus, the Son of God, has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was tempted every single way that we're tempted, but he was perfect, so he didn't give in. He, he was tempted, but he never, he never sinned. It is not a sin to be tempted, or Jesus would have sinned, and he didn't. Temptation itself is not not sin. And I meet Christians who act, live, intimidated by temptation. They might have a thought and then think, how could I have ever thought anything like that? Because you're human, and because Satan has the ability to plant thoughts in your mind to whisper to your spirit. And you have these thoughts It's part of the human experience. That's what temptation proves, that you're a human being. If you face temptation, it's not sin to be tempted. And again, I found the more devoted you are in a season of your life to Christ, the, the greater the temptation is going to come. Which is why James gives us strategy number two. Standing strategy number two, and that is You got to take responsibility. You got to take responsibility. You just got to admit. You got to own it. You can't blame other people for your problems. You know, we we love to blame others. Oftentimes, blaming God. Look what James says in verse 13. When tempted, we're going to finish it now. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not tempt you. You can't blame God. I, I, I heard it said one time that you can kind of summarize human or, or American history into the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And we're not talking about deer. We're talking about blame. You know, we, we're a culture of irresponsibility we don't we don't want to take responsibility for anything we're a blame society we want to blame the government we want to blame our parents we want to blame our kids we want to blame our church we want to blame our spouse we want to blame the devil and sometimes we even want to blame god for our yielding to temptation you know some people will tell you you know It must have been God's will or he wouldn't have allowed me to do it. Again, crock of baloney. Okay, it's just, you know, I have read about pastors who said that God told them to leave their wife in order to marry another woman in the church they were at. Friends, that's called blaming God. Don't ever... Make your bad decisions and then say, God told me to do so. God does not tempt you with evil. And he never contradicts his word. God is not going to tell you one thing and have his word say something else. And friends, if the Bible says one thing and you say something different, guess who's wrong? It's not the word of God. You're wrong. So be responsible. Take, take responsibility. Don't blame others. It's a sign of immaturity. See, reality is, the fact is, most every problem that I've ever had in my life, I brought on myself. And guess what? True for you too. Now, I'm not saying there's, you know, there weren't some people that did some things to you that brought difficulty in your life. But most of the problems that we have, we brought on ourselves. Maybe how we responded to them. And if we're ever going to break those kinds of things, get rid of the bad habits that we want, we got to live in the reality that we're tempted and we got to take responsibility and quit trying to pass the buck. Then we got to take the third step, the, the, the third strategy that James just clearly points out. We've got to establish readiness. We got we to we be prepared that temptation is going to come. God's word is, is replete with this idea. The apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 8, be on your guard. Stay, stay awake, he said. Matthew chapter 26, we read something that Jesus said. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's being on the ready. The apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus uh, in Ephesians chapter six, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Be ready. Be be prepared. The whole armor of God. A couple weeks ago when our our deacons met and we appointed um, John to be uh, our next elder, one of the things we did was we did a real quick run through of Ephesians chapter 6. And when we got to the part in Ephesians 6 where Paul said, put on the full armor of God, one of the things I challenged our deacons to to do is to go online to Right Now Media that anybody in our church can have access to if you want it, and do this eight-session study on how to put on every single piece of armor. Friends, you need it you want to stand against temptation you got to put on the full armor of god later on today i'm going to post that on realm the name of that study and how you can access it but you got to be prepared and james james interestingly uh in the passage that we're looking at today he gives us some real clear directives on how to be ready and he does it in verses uh, 14 through 16 especially he says this he says but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, which, uh, uh, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, brings death. Verse 16, do not be deceived. If you write in your Bible, I would in, in just encourage you to, to circle that, underline, and highlight whatever you do. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't, don't, don't let yourself be deceived. See, one of the reasons... That temptation becomes so successful in, you know, against us is because it catches us by surprise. It, it you know, it it surprises us because we're not ready. We're not on our guard, and so we're, you know, we, we're vulnerable. You know, one of the times that we're most vulnerable is when we've had a spiritual high. When you've had a, a spiritual success, and you think, I'm okay. I got it got it going on look what Paul how Paul warns Christians in Corinth he says this in 1 Corinthians 10 let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall you know when you think you're there when you think you've arrived spiritually a smackdown is coming it's just it's going to come and it's going to come probably through something little this week in the weekly update I I wrote, um, and you should get that email every Friday, but I wrote uh, very briefly about a daredevil named Bobby Leach. Bobby Leach was the second human being to ever successfully go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. He did it. He lived. He got banged up a little bit, bumps and bruises, but he successfully survived that. A few years later, Bobby Leach died, From complications due to a surgical procedure on a leg that he had broken just a few weeks before when he slipped on an orange peel. Honest truth. I I mean, I I researched that, okay? He slipped on an orange peel. Friends, it is the little things that so often kill us. And the same is true when it comes to temptation. It's the little things that sneak up on us and just and, and kill us. So how, how do you prepare? How do you get ready? Well, James tells us we do it by understanding how it operates. And he gives us, he lays it out here in what we're going to look at. And, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth because he didn't want them outsmarted by Satan. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 2. I do so with Christ's authority. He says, I'm coming to you with this word because I have Christ's authority and it's for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with the e- his evil schemes. We can be familiar with his evil schemes. He's He's got the same bag of tricks that he's been using since the, the, the dawn of time and he he wants to suck you in by his schemes. And so what what James is going to do is he's going to say you got to know your enemy's schemes, and he's going to point them out. Now th- there aren't a lot of good things you can say about Satan, but one thing that, good that you can say about him is he's consistent. He's just he's consistent. He's been he's been tempting Christians for two thousand years. Before that, you know, millennia before, since since creation, he's been tempting in the same ways. And so we can know his schemes. We can understand the temptation process because that's that's one of his schemes now james points out that the first step in our enemy's process of temptation in his scheme is to tap into our desires he wants to tap into your desires it starts as an inside job look what james writes in verse 14 but each person is tempted by his own desire now friends most most every desire that you have it's okay. Most every desire that you have, you couldn't live without having. You desire to eat. You desire to drink. You desire to sleep. There's sexual desire. There's the desire to accomplish. God gives us those desires. They're they're gifts. They're good until they get out of control, until they become destructive in our lives, and they can. See, Satan loves to take just kind of regular routine right desires and turn them into like a runaway train that just you know leading to a wreck and it's when we get consumed or obsessed by a desire we can get consumed or obsessed by food or work or recreation or, or sex or or money they're all legitimate desires but when they're out of control the train is going to wreck. And there is this, there's the outward part of temptation, but there is this inward part, this inward drive, this desire. And if it wasn't for the inward desire, we wouldn't have to deal with temptation. It starts on the inside. And it most often begins with this legitimate desire. And James tells us we need to know that. We need to be aware of our our desires. And then he tells us the second step is once you have an awareness of your desires, is this this temptation scheme that Satan brings is he's going to bring deception around that desire. He's going to come at you with deception. Look at all of verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Anybody in here like to fish? Go fishing? There's some people that like to go fishing? What do you put on your hook? Sometimes a lure, Bait sometimes. Sometimes it's live bait. Okay? But what do you do with your bait when you put it on a hook? You hide the hook as best you can. You know? You're trying to, and and, and that's what temptation does here, you know? You're enticed, you're you're lured. It's something shiny. Bait gets put on it. What kind of bait does Satan use for you? What, 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 what works? What kind of lure? What, what, what entices you? See, he knows. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you'll, you'll give into. He knows what turns you on, what you'll fall for. And so he hides his hook in that kind of bait. But now here's the, here's the really crazy thing about us so often, we see the hook. And we think we can just nibble. We think we can just nibble it a little bit, you know? We think we can just kind of nibble at the bait. We think we'll be okay. If you're a nibbler, you're deceived. Once you decide, hey, I can nibble, you're, you're, you're in deception. Some people have done this for me, and I've done it for others. Sometimes you see somebody in deception, you go to them and and you warn them. And they may tell you something like, I know what I'm doing. I got this. I'm I'm aware. I know know how far I can go. Deceived. See, it all starts with this desire. And then Satan carries that into deception. Just kind of a side note for a minute. I believe the greatest deception of Satan in the United States of America today is that every human life is not created in the image of God. I believe that's the great deception, the great lie. And because of that, we think life is disposable. And, you know, when you read the polls of people that think abortion's okay up to a certain point. It's never okay if you believe that every life begins at conception and every life is precious to God because it's created in his divine image. That's the greatest deception, I believe, and it has led to the greatest sin of our nation, which really is death. It's a a culture of death. See, temptation always looks better than it really is. It always, we think it gives us a, a way out. But all it does is destroy if we let that deception continue. Because look what, look what the third step is. Once he leads us to that point of deception, the third step in our enemy's temptation scheme is disobedience. What, see, what begins in our mind results in our actions. It starts in our imagination. It, 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 it moves from our thoughts into action. First, Satan gets your attention, and once he gets your attention, he, he reshapes your heart attitude towards this topic, and then he gets you commit to an action. He moves you to this action. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin is disobedience. It's just disobeying God's best for you. And Satan knows if he can get your attention long enough, he will get your action. You know, people people will say things like, "What's, what's the harm in a little fantasy? What's the little things that'll kill you? What starts in your mind, what begins in your imagination, what you flirt with, you fall for. You're just going to do that. And that's the whole purpose, you know? That's why there's such a thing as TV advertising, you know? The whole advertising industry is built on this idea. If I can get you to imagine yourself, how wonderful it'll be if you have this thing. If that didn't work, there, there would be no advertising. Could you imagine no commercials? But it works. We're silly to think it doesn't work. And the Bible says all of that starts in your minds and it eventually makes its way into your lifestyle if you stay with it. Desire leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. And disobedience leads to the fourth step in the strategy of the enemy. His scheme is death. Look what James 1.15 says. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings what? It brings forth death. See, that's the tragic consequence of giving in. That's what losing the battle looks like. It's devastating results. See, death is the exact opposite of living. That crown of life we were talking about earlier, you're not going to experience that. But if you overcome temptation, you get that crown of life. But the wages of sin is, it's death. James says, look, James, you're free to choose. You're free to to choose whatever you want to do with your life. God God gave you freedom to choose. But what you can't choose are the consequences of your choices. You know, you're free to go out and have all the kicks in life that you want. But you're not free to choose to kick back. And there's always kick back to your kicks. There, there, There just always is. I'm free to make the choice, but I'm not free to choose the consequences. Back to the rest of what James tells us about how to stand in order to overcome temptation. He said, "You got to live in reality. You got to admit the truth. You got to take responsibility. Can't blame. You got to you got to have this state of readiness." And he gave us those four ways to understand what what it would look like to be ready to stand against those deceptive uh, of Satan. And then suddenly, he it's like it's almost like uh, James forgot what he was teaching. Because suddenly he kind of breaks into this, in in verse 17, breaks into this great thought of the goodness of God. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. He's talking about temptation. He's talking about this negative thing. He's talking about the schemes of Satan. And all of a sudden, the goodness of God. I mean, it's just like, whoa, James. where, Where are you going, buddy? And what James has done in that moment is he turned our attention. He refocused us on something better. Why? Because that's the next strategy in standing firm against temptation. It is to refocus. We've got to get refocused. See, if temptation starts in our mind starts in our imagination starts in our thinking then if we're ever going to overcome it we've got to learn to refocus the key is not to stand and just try to duke it out with satan to just try to fight him with your willpower to overcome you got to completely refocus and instead of looking at and staring at what you're being tempted by you got to look somewhere else you you got you got to refocus God's word in Philippians chapter 4 instructs us fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Focus your mind on the goodness of God. That's why James shifts so quickly in verse 17 because he's showing us what we got to do. we got to think about the goodness uh, of God because you can't just stand and fight feelings. The harder you fight against a feeling, the more it grabs hold of you. So don't focus on what you don't want. Focus on what you want, which is life in the kingdom of God, which is life in, in, in Christ. Get your eyes off the negative and put your eyes on the goodness of God. I know because we've talked that some that are part of our River family battle chronic worry. Chronic worry has that space in your heart in a season of life because you are not focused on the goodness of God. Now, I'm not saying that I've never not battled that. I've battled it too. But I know because I have that I wasn't focused on the goodness of God in the moment. And so we've got to refocus because whatever gets our attention gets us; it will capture us. So we got to stop fighting and, and refocus. You know, one of the beautiful things that the Scripture gives us is that you know, as a as a guide out of depression, God knew that we were all going to battle moments or seasons of depression when we when we look falsely and and stay focused on false thoughts about ourselves that are not true, false thoughts about how God thinks thinks of us, and we keep telling ourselves those lies over and over, it'll change you. The Bible says instead, focus your thoughts on things that are lovely and pure. Like Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I can't rejoice and be glad in my circumstance sometime, but I can be glad that God gave me another day. That he is in it. That I can rejoice about. That he's with me in it. Psalm 34 tells us, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What that verse is talking about is i got to refocus. i got to get my mind off of what depresses me and put my mind on what brings joy. Because if you keep feeding that other thing, it'll grow. But if you stop feeding it, you'll weaken it. It won't have the same strength. So, friends, if you don't get anything else on this, get this. Do not argue with the devil. He's been around for thousands of years. He argues better than you. Now, I've seen some of you argue, and some of you are pretty good at it, but you're, nowhere, you're, not, you're no match for Satan. Don't do that. Just, just don't refocus. Now, sometimes refocusing means you may have to physically remove yourself from a situation. You know, if you, if you don't want to get stung, stay away from hornets. You know, just it, it's simple, you know. For you, that may mean you got to change the TV channel. Or you, maybe you need to walk out of a movie. Or maybe you need to do something as radical as change jobs. Change your workspace or change your inner circle of friends. First Corinthians 15 tells us, don't be deceived. There's that line again. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived. You know your weakness. God knows your weakness. And Satan knows your weakness. God is going to try to redirect you, refocus you. To a strength, and then James—it feels like after he's focused on the goodness of God, like he's going to take another hard right turn. Suddenly, look at what happens in verse eighteen. James says, "Of his own will, he brought us forth." That's that's the language of giving birth, if you would. And he's not talking about physical birth; he's talking about spiritual birth. Look how uh, NIV translates it: "He chose to give us birth." through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created and that's the fifth strategy and that is that we have to experience and live in our rebirth in christ we have to be born again jesus said in john chapter 3 i tell you the truth that unless you were born again You cannot see the kingdom of God. You will not experience life in the kingdom of God if you are not first reborn and then choose every day to live out of that rebirth. Give him your life and then walk in that life. Being born again gives you a capacity to resist temptation that your willpower alone will not. That may be why you keep failing and falling, is because, one, you haven't trusted Christ yet and given him your life and experienced spiritual rebirth, or two, because you are not walking in that rebirth. You don't have enough power to overcome. You need supernatural power. You need Christ in your life, and then you need to turn back to him every single day, every single moment. You need to let him make changes in you, giving you the power that you need to do what is right In the face of temptation, you need his power in life. You need to live in your rebirth in Christ. That's the starting point. You'll have power. So this morning, just a couple questions. Where are you most vulnerable? Where's your weak spot? What, What bait does Satan use in your life? Have you figured that out yet? If you haven't, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Because that's where you're going to keep losing the fight until you know what your weakness is so that you can begin to avoid it. It is just plain dumb to keep putting yourself in the same situation where you're automatically going to be tempted in a place of weakness. Where are you vulnerable? Be realistic about the problem. Where where do you lack self-control? Is it your temper? Is it some appetite? Is it spending? Is it you don't control your words? You know, or you, you find yourself continually talking and getting deeper and deeper in the hall with people. What, what is it for you? Is it drinking? Is it lustful thoughts? What, what's the area that Satan continues to attempt tempt you and, and admit it to God? Just say, God, this is the truth. This is reality. God, you know. So, God, I want a clean slate. I want to, I want, I want to experience rebirth in you, Jesus. The truth is I don't know you. And the Bible says that you can come to Jesus right now, today, in this moment, and experience rebirth. If you come to him admitting that your sin has separated you from him, and you say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I believe that you can give me life, that this temptation that the world has brought has destroyed me. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want a clean slate. I want a free, freedom from my past. I want forgiveness from you. And the Bible says you'll have it. Salvation is your first step to victory over temptation. So ask Christ in your life. And maybe if you've already done that and you're, you're, you're losing the battle, go back to that. Go back to your salvation. Your source of salvation is Jesus. God tells us in His Word in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you'll be able to endure it. That is a promise, friends. In your relationship with Christ, you will never be tempted beyond your ability to endure it because God will give you a way of escape. So when you think or when you say out loud, I just couldn't help myself, that, 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 just so you know, that came to bite me in the butt after the first service that I said that. Because I have this habit of doing this, putting my foot on the edge of the stage. And people call me out on it because they're scared to death I'm going to fall off. And so when I got, came down from saying that, somebody said, Joe, you were on the edge like crazy in the first service. And I said, I know, I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. They said, this is not sin, people. Just so you know. Here's the the truth on this. You know, God wants to give you the power. He's not going to give, there's no temptation because it's common. There's no temptation that God's not going to give you a way of escape. You can't you can't look at God and say, God, I couldn't help myself. God said, Yeah, I gave you a way of escape. You you could have helped it here. I'll make a way out for you. That's what Jesus does. See, friends, you can't pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation and, and continue to flirt with that sin. Those two things don't go together. See, if, if you're flirting with temptation, you know, Satan's baiting you. He's going he's to trap you. And God says, I love you too much. You've got to deal with this. You've got you to do the Barney Fife. You've got to just nip it, nip it in the bud, baby. You know, you you, you got to fight this thing. It, it, you got to deal with temptation that way, to come and stand against it. Friends, you're going to be tempted until Jesus takes you home or comes back and sets up his earthly throne. You're going to be tempted until one of those two days, whichever, it's all around us. It's just the truth. But God has given us some resources. Four resources. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. I promise. Four resources real quickly. The first resource that God gives you is prayer. We talked about prayer a little bit last week. I'm not going into great detail, but I do want to say this about prayer. It's a question. Is prayer, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Because if prayer is your spare tire and the only time you ever pull prayer out is when you're in crisis, you're past temptation. You're into sin. I know it because I've i've lived it once i if that's the only time i pray is in crisis i'm i'm past you know defending myself against temptation but when i let prayer be my steering wheel when it's driving my life it is so much easier to stand against temptation How, how how what's your prayer life like second resource that god has given us is his word we we, we got to trust in his word. We've got to read it. we got to study it. we got to live in it. we got to roll around in it. we got to know the word of God. A third resource that God has given us, Scott Cockill talked about a moment ago, gave testimony to, is, is one another. We, we're, we're not there yet, but when we get to James chapter 5, we'll talk about it a little more. But in James chapter 5, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. Because the, the, the fervent prayer of faithful people, you can find healing. But you got, you got to confess, you got to have people in your life that you can share your burdens with. And then the fourth resource that God has given you, if you've trusted him, he's given you Jesus. And you got to call on Jesus. you got to cry out to Jesus. When temptation comes, the best prayer—you may, may say, Joe, I need to know how to pray specifically with this temptation— Jesus, just start there. Just when that temptation comes, just speak the name of Jesus. Just say Jesus. And if, if nothing else comes tangibly in your mind, you just say Jesus over and over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit says that he can interpret your heart prayer. Sometimes he'll even give you the words to pray because he wants to fight with you so that you can stand against temptation. Speak Jesus. Jesus. And that's how I want us to end our service this morning, is on that resource of speaking Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Jesus, we come. We come thanking you. We come thanking you that you inspired your little brother James to write these incredible, practical words so that we could begin to develop a a, a faith that's not filled with fault lines, a faith that is strong, a faith that gives us life, a faith that we can walk in when we face trials and when we face temptations. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word that gives us life. Thank you that we have the ability to to come to you in prayer. And we do pray that prayer, oh Jesus, lead us not into temptation. Jesus, help us. Jesus, we choose to quit flirting with that temptation that we so easily give into. We turn to you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and this is the first time you've heard that Jesus came to die on the cross to give you life, to give you power over sin, and to give you freedom from the penalty of sin, which is death, separation from God, so that you can experience life in God right now. If that's you, you're going to be tempted. Right now, you'll be tempted not to trust him. And I want to tell you, it's life to trust him. Give your heart to Christ right now. You can just simply pray. You can call on his name, Jesus. Jesus, I come trusting you. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness from my sin. my my choice to do life my way I choose you Jesus most of us here in this room made that decision years ago but we've not trusted his word when we face temptation and we just need to come back to Jesus today and call on him in the face of temptation in the face of the schemes we just need to cry out Jesus. We need to speak his name. So Jesus, we come. We end our time of worship with that thought that we want to speak your name into everything. Into every temptation we face, every struggle we have, every trial we face. We come to speak your name now. And it's in your name we pray.